Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, take advantage of the few minutes I have now. And try to get this off on Friday morning. This is Parshas Noach. So today is exactly a year. One year ago I started on Parshas Noach. It's just interesting, you know, to look back over a year. I wouldn't go and listen to it all over again, but I, I started one year ago. The, um, you look at Parshas Noach, just briefly, obviously you can talk with Noah for 12 hours. Uh, but what's, I would concentrate on two points as I'm sitting here. Uh, first of all, what exactly happened with the world? Did this last night at a class in Medish Rabba, You know, it says the world was corrupt. Atisha Ches Arts of but Arts Isn't that how it goes? Uh, which is an ambiguous phrase. The world was Tisha Ches, which we say corrupted, corrupted in the sense of physical rotten. Vatimale Arts Chamos. Is that explanation of the first half of the Pasuk? Is that a separate problem? There was Chamos. And what does Chamos mean? You know, when you're. Young, Rashi said, you know, there was a kind of gazel, like stealing and things like that in, in certain ways. But, um, you know, Chambas, you pay for it, whatever. The, uh, that's not the way most of the Chazals go. They understand this as a flood that resulted from what you find at the end of Parshish Bracious, which is a sexual deviancy. So the basic picture goes like this. They had it too good. They had tremendous prosperity. What happens usually in societies throughout history is when you get rich, you become decadent. Because since you have all these possibilities, then, you know, the HR says, why not? And you do. And then it becomes like pornography. You move from A to B and B to C and C to D and so forth. And so what it says was that, you know, all that at the end of the Braces, Elohim Pashtas is the powerful, rich and spoiled kids. B'nai Dayanaya, the sons of the judges, the rich people. Uh, after all, if your father's a judge, you're not going to get convicted. You see what I'm saying? And first they started with uh, Basulus, and then eventually they moved to Eshesish. And then, just like nowadays, then it moved to, to Zohar, and then it moves to Behemoth. This, this is what the words in the Medeshav say, not me. Uh, in other words, you're talking about a, a society which indulged a pornographic kind of thing, or a, a deviancy kind of business. And, you know, let's put it this way, had there not been a flood, who knows what you go beyond Behemoth? I don't know. You know I don't have that good of an imagination. But it, is, it never stops. And this disgusted God. And therefore, he said, I'm going to wipe out the world. And therefore, the, 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 the marble was caused by, uh, to use a broad term, Gilarias. That's not the right word, but, you know, things like that. So it wasn't a matter of, uh, you know, stealing a toothpick or something like that. But rather, a broad... Decadence, which uh, began to manifest itself, and you know it's unstoppable. In that case, what's the godless of Noah? He wasn't like that. That's what the man who says, Noah was what's called normal. In a society which everybody else is into all kind of junk, if you just do Asi and Harriet, you're normal. That itself is a high madrega. Um, that's, that's what we all live for today. You're not a big tzaddik, I'm not a big tzaddik. You should be normal. You don't go like everybody else. 
in the modern culture. You just get married, you have a regular family, and try to live the so-called middle-class morality. That makes you exotic in this day and age because they throw everything at you otherwise. So, you know, when you're a rabbi, like in my business, you're very tempted to go sermonic uh, because we live in a mobile, a cultural mobile. The internet and everything is a mobile, you know, and everything can bombard from society. And the truth is, you can't change the society. I can't change it. You can't. Not really. The only thing you can do is try to build an ark. Uh, you know, you move into a firm neighborhood. You try to get your kid in a decent school. You try to make sure they have decent friends. And that's a, basically it constitutes an ark. And you hope you ride out the flood. You hope you ride out the flood. So the Noach is very vivid because we're going through such a time. And it's not the only time in history you have it, but we live in a particularly prosperous era. Uh, whether you realize or not, you and I who are listening to this podcast, most people in the world can't afford a podcast, can't afford a, a phone. And uh, they can't afford breakfast, lunch, and supper, to be perfectly honest. They don't have shoes. Uh, which means they're in terrible poverty, so they don't have the time to have the decadence. But if you live in the Western culture, especially in America, and if, thank God, you make a living, then you have the time for all this kind of stuff that they had long ago. And so the ma bull, the, uh, the destructive force that simply wipes everything out, that does not distinguish between the good and the bad, like the Chazal say, you know, just a wave of death sweeps the world. Sometimes it's called a plague, and this time it's called a flood. And uh, it just destroyed everything, as you know. The only guy left was Noah and his family. It's, it's just an interesting kind of story. And uh, at least Noah and his family, it seems, if you read afterwards, the Torah doesn't go into any kind of details of any kind of sexual deviancy but Noah and his children. You find in different places in Chazal, I just recall, that, uh, you know, after the flood, there were Gedur and Barais. Do you remember this? When Yaakov goes and kisses Rachel, everybody's like shocked. There's such a Rashi, it's a, it's a Medrash. When Yaakov goes to Aram the Rhyme later on and kisses her in public, it's a shock because they say, I guess you're violating the Middle Eastern code of Puritan uh, morality. And even today in the Islamic world, the from ones, they're very into all that sort of thing. So, according to the Chazal's understanding, this is still a leftover from the flood. It's, it's a hardwired in their memory, in the cultural memory. Uh, but in the West, not. <laughs> in the West, not. So, it's a very complicated sort of business. Uh, as I mentioned last week, it also has to do with the fact, the women became objectified and uh, different and messed up the whole relationship between the genders. And uh, this also, God said, I can't stand this anymore. I'm wiping out the world. So it's, it is interesting, as I said before, uh, how this is portrayed. Now, the reason we all don't hear it is when we're little kids. You can't tell this in an elementary school class, obviously. So it's better to go with the hummus idea that, you know, like Gezel. All those kind of stories. And that, that's obvious. But that's not the way... <coughs> excuse me. It's not the way they, they, um, they portray it in the Chazal. It, it, it's just interesting. There is a separate tradition of fallen angels, but I'm not going into all that. Um, that's one thing. And I'm always, when it comes to Parsha Noah, obviously there's a lot to talk about in the flood, but I don't feel like doing that uh, this morning. Uh, my attention is always driven to the story of the Tower of Bubba, Migdal Bubba, what they call the Dora Flaga. Because it's very fascinating. It says that they all got together and they wanted to build a giant tower. And God said, oh, they better not do this. Otherwise, who knows where to lead? Which is a strange story, correct? I mean, what's God afraid of? Here's the interesting part of the story, as far as I can think about it this morning. What we're dealing with over here are early attempts 
in the history of the human race to understand the concept of God, which is not so simple. Uh, if you think about it thoroughly, God is not comprehensible, period. But if you do one madrega less, in other words, what am I supposed to do? I have to think of something, right? To think of absolutely nothing won't get me anywhere. The Torah requires you have some kind of relation with God. I know it's paradoxical, but there you have it. Um, but anything I think of is not true. Even if I thought of God who's a nothing, a invisible, it's also a created concept. So I have to do something. So that means once you start thinking about God, you can't help but come up with something that's not accurate. The thing becomes like this. So where is the utility of the philosophical approach, which is the Rambam and the Mekabalim, by the way, same thing. What's the, what, what's the utility of the philosophical approach to understanding the deity? And the answer is <clears throat> that it, the, the, the utility lies in the negative. I know God is not this. I know God is not that. That's at least something. So uh, it's not the positive explanation of it. Even Moshe Rabbeinu says, show me something positive, show me your face. And God said, no. You understand? You can only understand something negative. You know, God is not dumb or something like that, uh, to use uh, simple terms. This is already a sophisticated uh, question that we're raising over here. In early mankind, we see clearly, well, not clearly, but you see that uh, they're struggling with this idea I just said before. There's a God that created everything, but how, how do I relate to it? Um, they hint at this with the Enosh, right? Remember back in Parshat Breshis, Az Huchal Likro V'Shem Hashem. Huchal is a word that appears over and over again in Breshis and in Noah. I saw last night in Medrash. Zahachilom La'asos. And it's one of those Hebrew words that is extremely vague. And it could mean to begin, like Lahaschil. Uh, and it's often translated that way. But Huchal and Lahachil and all that, by Yachalonim Lerova Adama, can also come from the word of Mechal Shavos, Mechalel, which is to profane. Chol uh, then being a hole, you know. And then we do something which is a hole. H W H, no, H O L E, but not H O L Y, <laughs> right? So uh, you end up with something negative. And it says, The door of Enosh says the Rambam has his way of trying to portray it, imagine, you know, how it went. But clearly, the time of Enosh, which is before the flood, they try to get a handle on the concept of God. And here you have the very interesting experience, which is a part of the Jewish history, of trying to understand what God is as closely can, even at the same time do you acknowledge you cannot understand it. Uh, ultimately, just like a golden calf kind of concept, or the Pesel Micha concept, which means that these, if, I'm going with the from interpretations now, which means that these were idols to the Rabbani Shalom, not idols, you know, to other gods. So now we get into a very interesting question. This is Avodah The technical definition of Avodah means Zar, strange. You worship another god. That I get. Don't worship Zeus. Don't worship, I don't know, Thor, Minerva. So if you have a Baal or a Shaver or something like that, what you're saying is, I don't believe in Nirvana Shalom, or at least I'm not dealing with that. Instead, I'm going to another god. That's Avodah Zarah. But what if somebody says like this, I want to make an idol of God, of the creator of the world. Now it says in the Torah, you shouldn't do that. I understand that. I'm not stupid, you know. Uh, but, uh, and you're not allowed to do it. It's a big sin, and so on and so forth. Having said that, is that a Voda Zarah? Get what I'm saying? These are issues that the Jewish people wrestled early in history. This is the idea behind the golden calf. And the golden calf reappears a number of times later in history. Times he run Ben Devot and so on and so forth. 
And even in the time, as I say, of the Shoftim of the Pesel Micha, so these are idols, they're, 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 they're uh, images, but they're made to God. Uh, and the Rambam more or less says, in a certain roundabout way, and I know you know this, Rambam, because it's the beginning of Hilchaz uh, Abedazar, so you all learn it one time or another. In the time of Enosh, people made a big mistake. Remember that? And uh, the Rambam says that they, you know, that they spoke of God in the sense of using some of his servants, so the sun, the moon, the stars, and all that. I don't understand exactly that way. Rather, they're under, not that they're looking for subservient things, but rather you say like this, here I am, I believe in Rabbi Shalom, but I got to get a handle and I have to have something concrete to deal with. And so I'm going to make an, a, 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 an image and it just will remind me, I'm not stupid enough to believe that image is God, but it reminds you of it and then, you know, that helps. Uh, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Even if you tell me, well, it's not exactly what God is, nothing is exactly what God is. What's the difference between me, me making a statue and saying this reminds me of Rabbi Shalom, or me thinking in my mind of a man sitting at the up in heaven on a throne with a long white beard, which is how God is described in the Bible, in the book of Daniel and other places like that, or some powerful force, which is also a created idea. So whatever you do, you're not going to get it exactly right. So what's wrong with doing one or the other? Uh, the problem, of course, with that is that you end up with... Uh, you know, the inability to distinguish between the image you created to remind you of God and the essence of God, or at least the negative essence of God, what God is not. And that, as best as I can tell, is what happened with the Tower of Bubba. Because they wanted to build a giant uh, 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 tower, right? And they wanted to go up to heaven. So obviously, they're primitive in thinking that heaven is a place. The it's not subject to time and space. Um, now, I know there are other ways of interpreting it, but this seems the most straightforward business that's going on over here. And this is therefore based on the idea as follows. We're strong, but God is a million times stronger than us. Actually, he's a trillion, trillion times, a trillion, trillion times stronger than us. But there's a limit. You can get there. And so if you have a building, and you just build in the building one after another, sooner or later you will get there. Because... If God is like you, just a lot more, you will get there. Uh, many, many people think of God in that fashion. It's extremely powerful. Uh, compared to God, I'm a garnished. But if there were a billion, trillion, shmillion, clillion people like me, and you add it all together, we could take them. Uh, now, the fundamental flaw of all this is it lacks the philosophical understanding that God is not strong and all the rest of it. Like I say over and over again, he created all these. He's in a different category. So there's something different. By definition, you can't get to God because it's not subject to time and space. And even that's not an, an accurate de definition of God because anything you come up with is created and blah, 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 as we always say. So what the, the fundamental uh, error of the uh, Migdal Bavel is they conceive of God in a wrong sense. They conceive like a gigantic human. Um, and therefore, you, he's gettable. And it's just very interesting because that's what a lot of people do. The Rambam says somewhere that if you think of God like that, you're like a heretic. But the Ravid says, you're not a heretic, you're just wrong. Remember that famous uh, Rambam? It's in Hilchus Chu, I think. You know, it's anyone who says that God can have a goof or something like that. Anything physical whatsoever is a min. He's going to burn in hell and so on and so forth. And the Ravid says, plenty, plenty of people hold that way. They're, they're wrong. You take a push of the as we would call today, and he understands God is this big guy all the way up in Shemayim. And, you know, so hopefully somewhere along the line he'll get it. Excuse <coughs> me. If he doesn't, he doesn't. As long as he keeps the mitzvahs as a good citizen, doesn't bother anybody. 
He won't understand it. So Rambam, of course, as opposed to the Rav, is saying, no, but you you have the wrong concept. You understand? And the Rav says, it's a big deal. This goes back to the Tower of Bubble. They had the wrong concept, and they built upon it. So if you say, we have a giant uh, you know, building, we eventually get up to Shemayim. I forget how the Chazal say it, but, you know, not in the Vakena, but Kardumos or something like that. We can attack God with shovels. Which means we can ultimately get to where he is. <coughs> I'm a cold today. Get to where he is. Then you end up with these projects. In the, the Tower of Bubble. Uh, now, what's interesting is that Hashem says, no, this is going to be terrible. Hashem not afraid that they'll get to him. He said, what's he afraid of? The answer is, I think, he's saying this idea will come hardwired in mankind. That God is something other than unknowable. And if that gets in there, then you won't be able to, to the human race will become corrupted again. Um, and we're fighting with this concept ever since. And therefore he messed up the Tower of Babel, said that the whole idea of thinking of God in the terms of somebody who's a superhuman, superman, Super powerful, or as we say in our davening, Godel Gibber Venora, and he's not Godel, and he's not Gibber, and not Nora, not really, right? We just have to use some words. But uh, remember that Gemara where he says, Really, you shouldn't even say that, but the Anshay can say, Oh, Zola said it, but that's as far as you can go. Um, if you conceive of it in, the, in, in any other way than unknowable, you're going to get it wrong. And therefore, God frustrates their project and creates different languages, the Duraflog, as, as, as they call it. And the ultimate result is, you know, the project doesn't doesn't go through. And so I think that's what I think that's what's going on with the Migdal Bobo. So it's after the flood, and people understood they can't go in Arias, and you know, don't do that again. And people understood that, you know, you have to have some kind of basic morality, all the rest of it. But the idea of what God actually is, uh, which is something they struggled with before the flood, was the time of Enoshon. That was not solved by the flood because in their mind, they didn't think they're doing anything bad. Or if they did think they're doing something bad, they thought it's something that's at least doable. In other words, we'll make sure that there's no more floods because we'll knock out God or something like that. According to some interpretations, they want to hold up the heavens. I don't know what they want to do exactly. It's hard to understand. If you take it literally, they're very primitive. Uh, And the result goes that um, the human race was, uh, you know, scattered. It seems part of the interpretation is that this is politically motivated. They say Nimrod pushed the whole idea. Um, Politically motivated in that if you get an official idea of what God is, then the ruling powers will will manipulate that idea. Because every, what's the right word, every regime that ever existed uses a, a God idea, but of course the one that works for them. So, you know, there was a guy called the Tsar of Russia. Why was he an absolute dictator? God wants me to be. <laughs> you understand? Uh, it was Emperor of China. God wants me to be. He always used that as a, as, as a backup, as a, as, as a crock. Uh, whereas it's actually a lie. So it's just uh, kind of intriguing, intellectually, to consider the story of Tara Bubba. Now again, if I was in a sermonic uh, mood, and you wanted to put this in a homiletical fashion, uh, which I'm not, I sort of am and I'm not, they can say the, the Migdal Bubble is a science. Get it? Because uh, really, science is the, uh, is the Tower Bubble. What do I mean by that? Brick by brick, piece by piece, we're building a gigantic structure. Um, for 2,000 years after the death of Aristotle, science was all screwed up. So they, they didn't get anywhere. It was all wrong. But for the last 200 years, as we see by 
evidence, science has started to get it right. And indeed, it's like a tower. And it goes up. And get even to the metaphysical. Not to the skies, get to the metaphysical. See, that's the question. When they said, where they primitive and they meant we'll get up to the skies and God is like Jack and the Beanstalk. He's at the, at the upper end of the skies. Or were they more profound, my friends? And were they saying, you know, the ultimate uh, barrier, the ultimate goal to transcend is the physical versus the metaphysical. To the world of Ruchnitz is the physical. Is it possible for the human race, unaided, to penetrate the metaphysical? That is a question that ordinarily you think the answer is no, but who knows? Meaning, when I say who knows, we have no scientific evidence one way or the other. Do you hear what I'm saying? Can the human race, through science, penetrate in, in, in zones of reality? Sitting for where I am today, it hasn't happened, but am I going to say in the next thousand years or two thousand years there won't be some way of doing that? To be perfectly honest, we all believe in science very heavily, and the possibilities are limitless. And so Rosh Hashanah means it's limitless. And so the result was Hashem said, this is not good. Because what's going to happen, they're going to start cloning people, they're going to create this, they're going to do that, it's going to make a wreck of the whole human race. And therefore, and this has happened in our time, and therefore what am I going to do? I will introduce discord into the human race. That has happened. We, you and I live in a time now, it's very fascinating, you know, the time in which we have two competing dynamics in the world. A, science. B, war and politics. Let's just, I'll give you an example I'm talking about. Suppose, the, remember the U.S. sent somebody up to the moon back in 1969 in Nixon's time? What's happened since? How, do, how come we don't put all our full cojas into the moon? Well, you had the Vietnam War, you got a depression, you got Trump, you got the Reagan, you know, in other words, all kind of politics. America spent trillions and zillions on other things. And we've been in wars and the human race has been in heavy wars ever since. The Cold War didn't stop, not really. You got the China problem, you got the Iran problem, you got this problem, you got that problem, you got dictatorships all over the world. So in other words, we're wasting our resources, if you want, from a science point of view. We're wasting our resources on Mishigasin. The ISIS, the Taliban, the 9-11, the guns of business, the terrorism, you know that. What do the terrorists want to do? They want to poison and kill everybody. They have any uh, problems with it. So what happened to the Tower of Bubble? You see? You think science is getting out of hand? Because most thinking people today think that science is getting out of hand. What do I mean when I say that? The cloning, you know, the, the, the turn the people into animals, animal, the people who, there's brave new frontiers out there that are pretty scary when you think about them. And the genetics and all the other stuff. I mean, uh, you know, and I'm not even a scientist. I know, a macho of a macho. But those who know more know that, yeah, they might find the cure for cancer, but they're also going to find a way of giving everybody four ears, you know, <laughs> they can do anything. And uh, who says it's going to be good? Now, um, all you have to do is retard and uh, rechannel all the resources and, uh, and the power going into science and put it in for, uh, as I say before, Islamic terrorism or something like that. And then, next thing you know, people can no longer cooperate with each other and science is based on the fact that they all speak one language. But he called it Safayachos. In our time, to the best of my ability, me, myself, and I, the Safayachos, the one language that's spoken around the world, language of science. Agreed? I mean, I speak English, you speak Spanish, she speaks French. But we have the same mathematics. We have the same science today. We have the same physics, the same chemistry. That's the Safayachos. If the human race has a single language and a single whatever... 
then they're able to build a tower that can reach Shamayim. It's a homiletical, but it's, it's true. You know what I'm saying? It's true. So for these and similar reasons, I find the story every year when it comes to the Migdal bubble, perhaps the most fascinating part, uh, disturbing, fascinating part of Parsha Noach. And the reason I share this with you is if you have adults at the table, this may be something you want to consider to talk about or to be ma'ayin in. Many of the medieval mafarshim, you know, will go their way. But from a modern perspective, you know, pirish you, pirish <laughs> him, pirish her, uh, I think it's very a contemporary kind of uh, re- reality and raises questions about uh, the future of uh, mankind because, as I said before, we are building a tower with science in which, you know, I'll tell you, just sitting here from where I am today and not knowing much, looks like one day they'll penetrate the Shemai, the, the, the metaphysical. Um, and who says that's good? So anyway, with those uh, scary thoughts, I bid you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.